This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Well, this is very exciting. Uh, this is, welcome to, our very first Get Gardening podcast, which we thought we would aptly call Talking Dirty, because that's, you know, let's face it, what we generally do, whether we're broadcasting or not. And uh, the general idea is for the Get Gardening team, so Alan and I in particular, hopefully Ian as well, can catch up with all of our gardening friends, uh, wherever they may be scattered across the county of Norfolk, where we're all from, or indeed the country. We know so many brilliant botanists and garden designers and florists and fun people. And we just wanted to have uh, an excuse to catch up about wonderful plants, share great tips on uh, growing them. Or when I say share, I mean, I basically want them to tell me great tips on growing them and uh, have a laugh along the way and hopefully answer some of your questions if you have any to ask. Um, we have, oh, must be five or six years now, uh, done all these gardening tutorials and things. So maybe you're coming to this podcast from watching them. If not, go watch them. Hopefully there's something to learn in there. Um, but if you haven't seen them, then you won't know who we are or anything about us. So um, do, you, do you think we should do some introductions, Alan? I think that'd be a very good idea. Why don't you start and introduce yourself? Because I don't know what your middle name is and I'm dying to find out. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, uh, I, I wrote down some questions very glamorously and in a very organised fashion. Uh, they are um, written down on a, an envelope that I received a birthday card in the other day. So you get an idea of how glam and well put together this, uh, this podcast is. We also, I mean, I should introduce Lily my one-year-old cockapoo who's had a bit of a bad day, so she's sitting on my lap while she recovers from going to the vets. Um, and that's why she's having a bad hair day, because I haven't brushed her yet. So question number one, Alan. What is your full name? My name is Alan Edward Herbert Gray. I was named after both my grandfathers, you see, so that's why I've got those rather old-fashioned and, um, and quaint names. You're a Herbert. I am a Herbert. <laughs> no, Can I'm not. I'm a Herbert. <laughs> Can you imagine if you'd been Herbert Gray? Oh, Lily's off. Herbert Gray. Oh, I'm seeing Sounds you. Sounds like a, a famous author or something, doesn't it? a whole new light. Herbert? Yes. Okay, so full name, we've done. Location. Well, I'm at East Russell Old Vicarage, my home on the northeast coast of Norfolk, and I'm sitting in the office, as you can see from the paraphernalia around me, that um, it is very much an office, even if it is, as you said, slightly stylish. But um, it's what we aim to be, isn't it, in what, whatever we do, we aim to be, be the best at what we do. So if we're planting a flower bed or arranging a room, I want it to look nice. And East Ruston Old Vicarage is a beautiful house, but it's kind of less about the vicarage itself and more about what you've done with all those, what, 32 odd acres around it. Well, yes, I mean, there's about, I suppose there's approaching 20 acres of garden, proper gardens, um, which is ridiculous, I know, but um, there are so many plants out there that you, you fall in love with a group of plants and you make another garden to facilitate them, you see. Um, as did Graham a few years ago when he changed what was a quintessentially English border, herbaceous border, backed by nice silver trees and the view of East Ruston Church, and he changed it into a desert. Um, and I do literally mean a desert. 
and we were walking through it the other day we were we were uh, editing um because it's got to the stage now that where lots of self-sown seedlings are there some of the trees have grown too big and they need to be taken out um to let in more light and stuff like that so we were editing the desert and i said to him you know can you rem remember when the we were looking down on all these plants but we're not looking down amongst the yuccas and, and the uh, cord lines and all the various huge grasses and lots of agapanthus and goodness knows what. We are now amongst them. We are in them. So it's it's a great change of, and somebody, a visitor to the garden the other day said, we haven't been for five years and we just cannot understand how it has changed so much. And I said, well, it grows upwards. And that's the one thing that people forget. Well, it does, but also you are really committed to changing it and making sure it adapts all the time and not being too shy to think, well, this is a successful area, but it's been that way for five years or something. Let's, let's change it up. You're really brave about those decisions. Or stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's a close relationship. Um, but yes, but I, well, I think it's all part of the fact that, uh, you know, you, your psyche, where you think um, we're changing as a person. Um, and so I think that re that will reflect itself in what you do and what you love. And so therefore, your interests change, you change, the garden changes, I hope in a good way. And of course, but, um, what, what, what gives the garden at East Ruston Old Vicarage, this extra va-va-boom is not only you and, and your fabulous planting combinations, but the kind of microclimate you get, which allows you to play with some plants that may not be hardy elsewhere, certainly in previous years. I mean, of course, now with climate change, more and more of us are finding we can keep these plants alive. Yeah, that's very true. But I think Graham and I were at the forefront of all that. When, when, I mean, when Graham first wanted to make the desert, it's his garden, it's not my garden. I don't really have anything to do with that. It's Graham's baby. Um, and he has a love of prickly plants, you see. Anything that's spiky. I said to him one day, you know, I said to one of the visitors that um, this, the, the desert is very much like Graham himself, spiky and sharp. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not that bad at all. But I mean, that was just my little joke. And I think the other, the, other, the other thing is that we were at the forefront of growing plants with a um, doubtful hardiness about them. And so we pushed the boundaries. I mean, the first thing I ever bought in the garden over 40 years ago was something called Drimis winterii, which is a, a lovely evergreen shrub. It's got red stems to the glaucous grey-ish leaves. Um, it's evergreen. It has wonderful pale white and green flowers held in big bunches, followed by black berries. And you ever you only ever used to see it in Ireland or the West Country. And I was down in Devon and Cornwall and I was buying one of these from the then nursery called Burncoos in Southdown. And the, the guy who was serving me said, Well, where do you come from? And I said, Well, I'm from northeast Norfolk. He said, Well, you want to put that back, you're wasting your money, it won't grow for you. Well, today it's in the garden, it's over 40 feet tall, and it's absolutely splendid splendid. And I think that is one of the plants that as it was at the forefront of us pushing the boundaries. It's really interesting. It's interesting you, you say that about Cornwall and Devon, though. I've literally just come back from a few glorious days soaking up uh, the rays and enjoying the gardens in that part of the country. Um, and I did Cornwall last year, and your garden is so reminiscent of those West Country gardens, especially things like those massive towering echiums, those echium pinananas, the bee towers, as yeah. you call them. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're all here. And I mean, the inspiration for those really came when Graham and I went to the Ventnor Botanic Gardens on the Isle of Wight. Um, and we, we saw Simon Goodenough, who used to be the curator there. And, and 
I mean, several plants, for instance, there's a, a lovely little um, brown leaf shrublet called Halloragus erector wellington bronze. And I said, can I try a piece of that? He said, you can have as much as you like, but it won't grow in your garden. Well, it, it's self-seeding in the desert, so it does. Um, and Echium pineinana, there were huge strand, stands of them there in the garden. And I can also say, isn't it funny, the things you remember about gardens? I remember there were cracks in the paving full of cigarette butts. You wouldn't find that today, would you? Well, it's funny, talking about things you remember, the next thing on my glamorous list of questions on an envelope is when did you catch the gardening bug? Do you remember, because I think for you, you were very young, do you feel like you have a moment that really stands out in your mind as that kind of seminal uh, magic, I'm now into gardening or I love plants or I want to be more involved with this and learn more and do more? Yes, I think the moment came when I was about four or five and I was allowed to have my own little garden at Granny's garden, you see, Granny Gray. And um, um, I did very strange things for this child. Um, we had this hedges of something called Lanicera nitida, a very small leaved evergreen shrub. Um, and you, you, in those days, you used to break pieces off, push it in the ground, and nine times out of ten, they would root. And I made a little parterre garden, which is four beds, um, and they were uh, rectangular and they had a little circular one in the middle where the four piles met as they came together. Um, and I remember getting terribly cross uh, or told off by Granny, who was very cross at me using her best sewing shears, I think, you know, for cutting fabric or material or stuff, as they used to call it in those days. Have you got a bit of stuff? Didn't mean what you think it means. It meant, have you got a piece of material? Um, and I, I, I was cutting her, this Lanusha United with her precious um, fabric shears and I did get cross I did she did get cross with me for that but I think that was the moment when I first thought I mean I knew nothing I was, I was just a child and you know you had your father's and your your, your granny's cast-offs I mean when I remember my father bedding out um, lots of salpiglottis which is a petunia type um, annual and he took all the big plants and he left me with about three squinny little runts you see and I stamped my foot, I still do it today, by the way, I stamped my foot and I, <laughs> I said, why have I got to have the second best? Why can't I have the biggest? And he said, you have those and you'll do very well. Well, unbeknownst to him, his were all muddy, horrible colours and mine were like purple and blue jewels. Um, <laughs> so, you know, be careful what you wish for, I guess, I don't know. But it, 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 was, uh, it was quite interesting. And a love of colour, I think, born for the rest of your life, perhaps, from uh, from all the colourful flowers. Because yes. that's something you're definitely yes. going to yes. get at East Ruston Old yeah. Vicarage, is just borders of colour, colour the everywhere. Inspiration, the inspiration, you see, was, was a grandmother who loved... Um, my main inspiration was that grandmother who loved plants. I mean, her windowsills were packed with pelagoniums, which she called geraniums. And, you know, and they were taken utmost care of in the winter, for instance. I can remember she used to put newspaper between the pane of glass and the geraniums to protect them from frost because they didn't have central heating. Um, and there were net curtains at the window. So the geraniums lived between the net curtains and the newspaper at night. Um, and I remember she had an epiphyllum cactus on um, in her uh, front room and it was on this special little mahogany uh, table and we had to put papers underneath the flowers as they opened because they dropped nectar, sticky nectar on the on the table and she didn't want to spoil the polished surface. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you talking about her because um, there's a video on the channel um, getting your fill of an epiphyllum where you do cuttings of epiphyllums which is actually yeah. one of our probably more po um, most popular videos um, and yeah sharing those memories and then you know it's such a popular plant even today one of those yes. ones that's really stood the test of time. It's funny. You but you know, there's been an awful lot of breeding 
work done in epiphyllums at the moment. And if you go on the internet, you can find superb plants in every, uh, almost every hue, hue except a blue. <laughs> <laughs> no blue hue. <laughs> no blue hue. No blue hue, Herbert. Um, the, the, um, the pelagoniums, see, my... Great... I'm going to become, uh, you know what, I'm going to become Herbert the horticulturalist, aren't I? <laughs> oh, I do hope so. <laughs> How have I never discovered this before and latched onto this before? I um, know that. But, but, but pelagoniums remind me of my great nanny, who I, and fuchsias as well, and I, I never got to see this particular garden, but whenever I kind of think of her before I knew her, she had a little courtyard garden on a little terrace in Norwich. And the, yeah. the photo is just full of, you know, hanging baskets of fuchsias and pelagoniums everywhere and absolutely, you know, just beautiful flowers of their time. Though also, actually, I mean, when I was little, to go on to kind of, I suppose, when I caught the gardening bug, that my mum loved gardening and I always used to get into trouble for popping the fuchsia buds. Oh, yes, every child loves doing that. <laughs> I yes, they love it. Don't be they? forever oh, popping yeah. fuchsia buds, um, getting hold of honeysuckles and trying to suck the sweet nectar out. That was another one, <laughs> honeysuckle flowers. Um, and just generally... well, that's a typical thing that, listen, that is a typical thing that fairies do. <laughs> well, so yeah. You are a thunder fairy. <laughs> well, there we go. I was just being true to my name long before I even realised I was a thunder fairy. But actually, the, the funny thing about when I caught the gardening bug properly is it's, it's really your fault because I'd had this this childhood where my mum had been gardening and I'd always been around her efforts. And then I started in radio and I was basically a phone answerer. I was desperate to get into radio and the only gig available, which I was delighted to get, was answering the phones on the gardening programme at our BBC local yes, radio you also, station. You also used to linger in the studio, I yes. seem to remember, yes. quite a lot. <laughs> well, because you were all so fun and so awesome. And any time they were playing a record, I just would try and sneak in. Anyone want a tea or coffee? Try and build my role up, try and um, kind of get in with you all. I remember a Christmas when you spontaneously and randomly and unexpectedly bought me a birthday present, which was very exciting. So you, you left a lasting present impression. Birthday present at Christmas time. Well, Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> that's better. Your birthday was two days ago. That's why I said that. There we go. That, that's why I've got birthdays on the brain. So yeah, you got yeah. me, um, you got this beautiful bracelet, which I've still got actually. Um, but yeah, I was answering the phones on the show and people were phoning in with their questions to ask you. And I was there tapping into Google, you know, what is this plant I've never heard of? How on earth do you spell rhododendron or camellia or all of these mm. curious things? And then um, fortunately, Google has a great did you mean function. So I put something in that was complete gobbledygook and Google would figure out what I meant, which then meant that when I put a message through to the studio, I didn't look like a complete numpty. I mean, a partial numpty probably, but not entirely. But in, in looking, I'd, I'd end up with you know, whole Google image pages of the most amazing plants. And then I kind of went to a garden centre to buy some plants for the garden, just, you know, to cover up a fence the neighbours had put in and just had this moment of epiphany where I saw in real life all these amazing plants that I'd heard the gardeners talking about all these weeks when I'd been answering listeners' calls and putting callers through to the studio. And it all came together in one magical moment. And from then on, I've just been really obsessed. And I don't have, I mean, I'm the absolute amateur in the midst in the Get Gardening team because I don't have an ology, as you always call it, Alan, and I don't have well, years yes. of gardening my own plot. I've only really just got my own garden, having, you know, gardened at my parents in the past. 
finally I have this tiny suburban garden in Cambridge to look after. And uh, it's, it's wonderful to finally be able to grow those things from seed and experiment with propagating. But I don't know that much, really. I just love plants like all of us do. No, really. but once you, once, you, once you have that interest, I'll tell you, once you have that interest, you will learn. You can't stop yourself learning because your brain is an inquisitive organ and it will, it will force you to find out about you know, very different plants. I was talking to somebody, a visitor in the garden on Sunday, and he said to me, that's a good old hydrangea you've got on your sack bar, isn't it? I said, it's not a hydrangea actually. He said, yes, it is. I said, no, it's not. Um, it's a hydrangea lookalike. It's something called febrifuga. And febrifuga um, are much more tender than hydrangeas. We tried to grow them here before, um, and we've lost them in actual fact, to, I think largely due to drought, but I mean, a little bit due to, due to frost as well. Well, now we're much better organized on the waterfront with our um, drip feed hosing and everything else. And I was working out a place to put it, and I know where I'm gonna put it now. Um, it's gotta be somewhere reasonably sheltered, and it's gonna be on a wall next to the kitchen, which is always warm because we have, um, a stove in the kitchen that's on the whole time. So I'm hoping that I'm going to be successful with a febrifuga. But the, I said to this chap, it's not a hydrangea. He said, well, yes, it is. I said, no, it's not. It's febrifuga. What the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> but he will learn from that, you see, as you do from well, all the you, bits you learn all the time. And it's all such an adventure. I mean, we, we were lucky enough to go to the Chelsea Flower Show. And I think it was a couple of years back. They had that tiny little red flower, the Adonis estivalis. Oh, I remember that. that. That I was completely show taken by. And it was absolutely, it might have even been, was it Chris Beardshaw's? Anyway, it was a wonderful little plant. And I'd never heard of it yeah. before. Um, mm. And we had to really strain our minds to figure out what it was. And then finally this year I got some seed and I tried to grow it from seed and I've not had a lot of success. But the adventure has continued because it was in the propagator for weeks. Then I snuck it into the fridge when the other half wasn't looking, left it in there for a couple of weeks. Now, finally, after a couple of weeks on the patio, I have one seedling. One adventure that <laughs> is. <laughs> it's a kind of plant that self-sows if you're lucky. But it's it's not a showy plant. It's like a it's like a dot in a pointless painting, if you know what I mean, that shines out at you. It's that tiny little thing. But they're not hugely floriferous, but they're lovely to grow and, and a joy in the garden. Yeah, well, I'm excited. If if this one grows, I'll be made up. It will be all of the you know, kind of propagating this year will be made by that one thing. Um, now, I think we've probably been recording for, for far too long already, but I'll carry on with the questions. What's your favourite job in the garden, Alan Gray? Well, my favourite job, I think probably my favourite job is planning and planting um, a new area. Um, I also quite like improving as well. For instance, I'll give you a, a, an instance because this year I've been um, overhauling the autumn uh, a border we call the autumn border. Um, various plants in there have become too big. A pittosporum that I planted had become a tree. And so we cut it down to about 30 centimetres, this big fat trunk about 30 centimetres tall. It's got one little green shoot coming on it. And I hope to manage that as a, as a shrub now. I've also planted in there some um, various sort of um, browny leaved things like um, Musum, um, no, the Enceti morellii, the, the brown leaf banana, I planted that in there, um, and some brown and cream uh, love lies bleeding relatives. What are they? Oh, amaranthus. Uh, there you are, you do know something. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> amaranthus, yes. Um, I've been planting those. And we've also got some strange coloured roses in there as well. There's, there's, a, there's a rose called um, Coco Loco. Oh, yes. 
it is, it looks like dirty old parchment, but it is such a lovely, lovely thing. And do you know, I was looking at a famous ladies catalogue that smacked onto my doorstep today. Um, she's doing tulips in wonderful shades and all the rest of it. And she's doing roses and she's including Coco Loco in it um, and several others that I've got, which I would say um, in general terms of what I call mucky roses because the colors look slightly dirty. So I was ahead of the game, you see. But I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed planting that garden and putting layers in it. I do tend to plant in layers. So I've got um, <coughs> a lovely albizia called chocolate something or other uh, as little trees. They've got lovely ferny brown foliage there above the bananas. So there's bananas. So we've got this brown theme coming up, going through, and there's the amaranthus coming through as well. Along the front, I've got the golden cos cosmos xanthos which has been very good. And I've also tried something called a plectranthus mona, which is a house plant given to me by Dot. Thank you, Dot. Um, and uh, I don't think it's gonna flower, but it's lovely foliage plant, so that's fine. And then I go back and I think there's a gap there. Let's put something else in there. So I put some, I put a salvia in the other day, which you would love, because it's a kind of shrieking pink and orange together. It's called flamingo. Um, and I put that in and then I thought well, it needs something in the middle of those 10, a group of 10 salvias, it needs something in the middle. And I'd recently bought a very pleasant privet. Now people think privet, and they sneer at privet, but they don't, you know, privet is worth investigating. Um, and the, the, the name to go for is ligustrum. And this is a very pretty little leaf, small leaf privet. It's got green leaves with a fine um, cream edge and it makes a very graceful little little hummocky shrub. And so I put that in the middle there. And then I come along with sort of thinking of, well, there's, I've got some wine colored zinnias in there. Um, a group of those, 10 or 12 dotted amongst those. And then somebody very kindly gave me some salvias. One of our volunteers called Jenny, she said, I've, I've been taking cuttings of salvias. I've got far too many. And these are some that I haven't seen in your garden. Would you like them? And I said, oh, yes, please. Um, and so I've been incorporating those in there. And it, you know, it's very easy if you take your little color blocks and you add another dimension to it. And it's like building the garden in layers. So instead of just being flat with a sea of one, plant or one color you improve that planting by putting something different in it changing the 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 kind of architectural look of it as well as the color and you know you, you can either complement each other it, your colors together or you can clash them maddeningly i mean christopher lloyd a great dexter was a, was a, an absolute delight at clashing colors magenta and orange he loved and did it used it frequently well, that's one of the joys about things self-seeding is so often those combinations are not the things you'd have thought of. They might clash, but they just work. I think largely people think in the garden that um, I think an awful lot of this, the kind of snobbery that used to be attached to colour, if you like. Um, I remember a, a lovely lady, she's no longer with us, but I mean, remember her coming to the garden and she listened to me very patiently. Um, and I was describing a planting scheme I was doing and she was very interested in it and she said, well, I would never use it myself. And I said, why? And she said, well, because it's orange. And I, I couldn't understand her prejudice against orange because I think every colour used in different ways has a place. There's been such I mean, a lot of prejudice against orange and it is one of my favourite colours, as you alluded to a few minutes ago. So I just I cannot understand why people won't use it. And all those fabulous and, and, marigolds, and, all of the breeding and all the different, you know, Dulux paint chart of, of oranges and peaches and things you can get in marigolds these days. And there are probably still people who turn their nose up at that kind of orange in their garden. 
Yeah, there are. And there's an, another thing, is it rather lovely salvia called Penny's Pink. And I had it for sale on the plant stand. And Fiona Black, a friend of mine down the road, came along, bought one. And she said, ran me up and she said, have you got another one? Because I'm going to see Penny Middleditch tomorrow and I'd like to take her one as a present. And I said, no, I haven't, I'm afraid, um, because I put them in the garden. But I didn't tell her that. I told them I'd sold them. <laughs> <laughs> She'll know but, now. Um, I've got, you've got to have stock to propagate from, you see. So that's, that's why I did it. Um, but that particular salvia, which has lovely pink flowers, and I was so surprised that Fiona liked it because she has a prejudice against what I call sort of slightly hot colours. Yeah, well, um, I, she's given you dailies in the past that I think are to die for, and she didn't want yeah. them in her garden. Incidentally, those dahlias have been one of my job this week because I've, they've been under the bench in, in the greenhouse and I did cut them back, trim them back, I fertilised them, yeah, they're in the same pots, same compost, I've taken some of the old compost off top, dressed them with new, um, I put a little bit of fertiliser in that, something called, um, well we call it fairy dust, I can't advertise it because, you know, just in case, um, but it's, it's something that, it's a fertiliser that peps pot plants up is specifically designed for them um, and they are pots that will go out in probably late July beginning of August um, to give us colour right the way through until the end of October. And for people who don't know if anyone's listening to this or watching this and they haven't been to East Ruston Old Vicarage you are the king of the pot like the enormous fabulous colourful putting combinations together people wouldn't think of container planting. Yeah. King of the containers that's what we should call you Herbert. <laughs> Herbert King of the container. <laughs> that is so going to stick. Um, well, it's funny because actually I was going to ask about jobs on the to-do list. So that's obviously something you've been up to. What else is next on your to-do list? My to-do list? Oh, you know, my to-do list never ends. Um, but I have got um, a, a whole greenhouse full of pelargoniums that I want to repot um, because they're, they're, they need it. You know, you can tell when they're getting to the, their compost is getting to the end of their life. I've been repotting today, in actual fact, I've been repotting some what some people might regard as manky old specimens. Um, but I know from experience the way I grow them that if I repot them, cut them back, back quite hard, they'll produce for me a lovely crop of cuttings. Um, various pelargoniums, some hebes I was doing today as well. Um, and, you know, you just know that with that Feet, their feet in that, the roots in that new compost, they're just going to push ahead and make some growth. And then, you know, in September, I can start taking cuttings, which we overwinter under glass, ready to have superb plants next year. Do you know what? In terms of my answers to these questions, they're going to take about a tenth of the time of yours. <laughs> I can rattle through my answers. My full name, well, actually, my full name takes up most of the time. Thordis Marie Sophia Fridrikson. Did you know that, Herbert? No, I did not know that, but I think you're very special because you've got three Christian names, as I have. There we go. We've got something in common. Quite a few things, really. Yeah. Um, I am just outside Cambridge in the village of Cottenham with the most awful clay soil. <laughs> that is the real standout of my well, garden, is say, it's, its soil. People say that, you see, because the clay soil is a wonderful soil for plants. It's a bad soil for gardeners because... Plants, actually, majority of plants like clay soil. It's fertile, they thrive on it, but for gardeners to dig and to turn over and to work, it is a pain. We have a light sandy soil where I am, so I'm, I'm very, very lucky. But the problem is, I have to keep pushing um, fertilizer, manure and goodness, nutrients into my soil. You probably don't have to do it quite so much. So there is a, there's an upside. Yeah, there is. And I'm lucky because I, having gardened in my parents' garden before, which was very dry in Norfolk, I 
that first job I did was try and improve the soil and put a kind of seep soak drip hose thing through the, the small flower bed in my small sort of modern house garden. And because the clay is obviously very moisture retentive, that means if we are in a drought, if, as long as I keep putting that hose on and getting the moisture in, the soil holds exactly, on to it. Yeah. And it's, it's a great experiment, actually, in I've never gardened on clay before, figuring out what plants will cope, because I've learned that lots of herbs actually are perfectly happy. Lots of salvias and Mediterranean plants that I thought would really resent the claggy winter in the clay have been fine. Um, and dahlias, all kinds of things have done really well. So it is a great learning curve, as, as all of gardening is. Um, it is. I've already talked about when I caught the gardening bug. I'm really lazy when it comes to favourite jobs. I love deadheading. I just think it's the most therapeutic job you can do, just sort of going along. It upsets me if I snip off a flower I didn't mean to. That's a little bit traumatic. But that aside, just going along... And, and because I have a small garden, I do a lot of deadheading. I even deadhead a Schultzias, my Californian poppies. I just try to keep them going. And uh, I just, I love it. I find it a very meditative task. Um, and my next job on the to-do list is there's an orchid the other side of the laptop over there. And I've just come back off holiday. And literally every time I walk past it, I keep meaning to feed it. Um, and water it because I kind of did it before I went away and I've only just about figured out how to make this Phalaenopsis orchid happy having never had one before um, so it, it was it had done all its fabulous flowers and since then it's been looking at me reproachfully um, and I've finally got its watering feeding ratio right but it's all going to have been thrown off by my holiday so my next job and it's literally like right there in my mind the whole time must remember to feed the orchid <laughs> That is, it is quite true, but I mean, you touched on something there that is quite strange in watering. I mean, watering is, um, there's more to it than meets the eye, shall we say, and it's not just to do it every Thursday and every, every Wednesday or something. You know, you've got to do it when the plants are, 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 are telling you to. Um, for instance, in the orangery, we've, I've got some plants of bougainvilleas that I've had for years. Um, and I repot them every year and I give them a prune and they're on tw uh, twiggy sticks so they make a nice shaped pyramid and things like that. Um, but they dry out incredibly quickly and I suppose I'm probably giving them almost a, nearly a gallon every day. Um, and of course I'm using my wonderful plant growth uh, soluble fertilizer with them and it puts on growth like, like anything. It's absolutely fantastic. But I mean watering is a science and you, you probably think you know, you, or you probably don't realise, you need to do it often more often than you think you do. I, it's, it's funny, uh, watering, I said at the beginning of this podcast, people hopefully will ask questions that we can kind of try and answer in future podcasts, because hopefully this will continue for some time. Um, watering, I'm sure, you know, and orchids and houseplants and all kinds of things will probably be right up there uh, as the most asked questions. So we'll probably come back uh, to talking about that because it's almost an endless subject. If you do want to ask a question for a future episode, I think the easiest way would be to find the video version of this on our YouTube channel. So just put Get Gardening into YouTube and under this podcast, there'll be a comment section. So you can just put your question in the comment section. We won't necessarily be able to answer everything. A bit like with the Garden Party on Radio Norfolk, we couldn't get to every question, but well, we will we'll try to answer what we can. So if you put the questions there, it's probably the best way to make sure we see them. We'll kind of keep them in one place rather than Twitter and emailing and Facebook and everything. Uh, so find the comment section, put a question in and we'll try and answer it on the next one. And if at first you don't succeed, 
indeed. Try, try again. We'll just keep doing this because I've thoroughly enjoyed it, Mr. Gray or Herbert, as I will now call you forevermore. <laughs> well, Herbert's happy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. <laughs>